The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton, drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. Just go to chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Whether you're there or you are there, you can check out uh, the event that Rob Black and I are doing in Menlo Park on February 15th. So two weeks of a day. Seven Steps for Retirement Readiness. Check it out. Sign up for the seats fill up. Just go to chadburton.com. Well, January 31st. Good thing about it, last day of dry January for those of you doing it. So excited about that. I'll talk a little bit about that because I did dry January. It's not like I drink that much, but um, wanted to participate in that. And a lot of it just had to do with overall inflammation and health in general. So we'll talk about that towards the end of the show if we have time. Today is also Fed Day. Now, the majority is thought that the Fed is poised to keep rates unchanged with the focus on any potential move towards easing. Um, investors see about a 40% chance that we're going to see a rate cut in March, according to Bloomberg Economics. And essentially what they're looking for is a policy statement being tweaked to remove the phrase, the extent of any additional policy firming. And Bloomberg stated that the Announcement's going to come out about 11 a.m. our time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Now, if we look at earnings reports so far, because we are in the thick of it right now, by last Friday, um, as I've mentioned before during earnings, I love to keep an eye on FactSet Earnings Insight. They put out a great PDF every Friday during earnings. And as of last Friday, there's 25% of the companies in the S&P 500 reported we had a year-over-year decline in earnings of negative 1.4%. We can't say much about that with only a quarter of the companies reporting so far. But if if we do stick with an earnings decline, it's the fourth time in the past five quarters that the index has reported a year-over-year earnings decline. So remember, we're kind of still dealing with this much lowered expectations as a result of much higher interest rates. And so far, the economy has been fairly resilient. Uh, even in most part, even real estate has been fairly resilient to the rate increase. So there's still slowdown expected in 2024, but more and more people are believing that idea of a soft landing. Now, as of last Friday, um, the forward PE ratio for the S&P 500 price to earnings was 20. That's above the five-year average of 18.9 and above the 10-year average of 17.6. So when we look at the 10-year average, though, the S&P 500 makeup is much different than it was because of the 500 companies, largest companies in America, you've got a big chunk of them in technology now. So it's a much different, less diversified S&P 500 than we've had before because we have all these magnificent seven names, right? Microsoft, Alphabet, um, you know, we've, we've got Apple on the top. So 
in fact, we it's kind of a lackluster report from Microsoft. Um, all we have Microsoft, Google, AMD. Yeah, pretty much all took a hit. Um, because you know they're, they're priced to blow out numbers. Essentially, that's where we're at right now. Now, if we look at the stock market year to date. Um, essentially, we've had a big rally in NVIDIA still. So that's a big makeup of both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. So the NASDAQ is up 3.85% for the year so far. S&P 500 up 3.28%. But if we look at the equal weighted S&P 500 ETF RSP, we got another kind of a fairly flat year, up 0.44%. Emerging markets, though, in the last week or so, took a bit of a hit, down 4% for the year. International developed relatively flat. Russell 2000 so far for the year is down about 1.5%. And if I look at um, just a simple ETF representing the overall bond market, BND, Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF, is down about 0.58% for the year. So that wraps up about the first month. Uh, it's a big day tomorrow. Um, yeah, Apple, Amazon, and a few others reporting. And speaking of, of where we're at in terms of updates, let's look at rates again, right? We are still in this world of an inverted yield curve, meaning typically when you loan money to the government by buying a 10-year treasury, you're going to get paid a higher interest rate than if you're only loaning the money to the government for only two years by buying a two-year treasury note. And so right now, the 10-year is at 3.88%. Remember, not too long ago, it touched nearly 5%. And the two-year treasury is at 423 so, you know, something's got to change a bit, right? If the Fed lowers rates, the two years is going to come down. Um, if the economies continue to, to, to be strong and the Fed signals, hey, we're, we're not going anywhere yet, then you're going to see the 10-year come up a little bit. And it's probably going to be a little bit of a combination of both if we're in the soft landing phase. And it's interesting talking to people, especially younger people, where they're, they're trying to get into their either their first home or go to that first upgrade. Let's say you know they might have bought a home five, six, seven years ago. You know during COVID, and and now there's been a bit of a baby boom, right? So they're trying to they're outgrowing their house and they're trying to move up, and it's just it's a tough situation because if you look at their interest rates and how much they've gone up versus where residential real estate has come, not down very far in most cases. It's a tough decision because it's like okay, now I've got this home. That would make a great rental property. And I'm never going to see this sub 3% mortgage ever again. But I need the equity to move into my next home. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Especially if it's an issue of I'm, I've outgrown this house and I need to move. Um, and then I guess what you have to do is say, okay, is there price appreciation here? If I keep this home and you know for another year and save up for a larger down payment and keep this as a rental property... What's the cash flow truly going to be like? Do I really want to be a landlord? Can I, can I get positive cash flow on top of some decent tax breaks out of this deal? So that's what a lot of younger families are dealing with is they're trying to get into that next home value or that next home upgrade, I guess you could say. So it is a tough decision, right? Um, one of the things that we're going to talk about today too is Walmart. Walmart split their shares. And this really doesn't mean <laughs> a lot. It doesn't mean as much as it used to because 
I'd say what, when I got into the business over 30 years ago, if you wanted, if somebody wanted to buy or sell a stock, it was a commission-based world. It was kind of a thing where you call them, do you want to buy the stock? Or they call you, hey, we want to buy some shares of something. And it was like a 2% commission that you would uh, charge. And you typically had to trade in, in round lots, meaning 100 shares at a time. And if you traded less than that, typically the commission would be a little bit higher. Well, in the world of, well, there are no longer commissions to buy stocks at places like Fidelity and Schwab. Now, they still make money in order routing and other things like that. But you can buy not only you know, a couple of shares of a stock at a time, but you can even buy fractional shares in some cases. So it, this isn't as big of a deal as it used to be. But Walmart was trading at a buck... Or $165.59, right? So if they were to split today, three for one, they, you would end up with three shares for $55.19. Now you really have the same exact thing. It's not, it, it's interesting about a lot of younger people or people that just get involved in the market think that this is a big boost. And it really doesn't mean anything. It just means that you have the same pie, but it's just cut and more into more pieces. It's the same thing. Now, sometimes you get a little boost afterwards. People get a little bit, uh, oh, wow, I can buy this cheaper now too. It doesn't mean as much as it used to. But the reason why they did it is because they want to have their store workers, they call them associates, purchase company stock. They want to they make it easier for them to purchase company stock, which means we should probably talk about what to do when you're overweight in your company stock. And if you own company stock in your 401k, what are some of the tax benefits when you go to retire? Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven steps for retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, February 15th in Menlo Park for a live event. Chad will walk you through these seven steps to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investment, Investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least 500000 in investable assets and want to gauge where your retirement stands, pass on your estate, and create tax efficiencies, this event is for you. The 7 Steps for Retirement Readiness, Thursday, February 15th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Stanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all 7 tests? Sign up online today at robblackshow.com. Let's talk a little bit about buying company stock, owning company stock, getting to the point where you might be overweight in company stock. And I've talked about this before. It's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of people that we work with made their money on concentrated positions, on tech companies that they worked for, created, owned, you know, bought company stock in for years and and it exploded in value. At some point though, as you get closer and closer to retirement, especially as you go from, I've got a paycheck and I'm adding money to my 401k. I'm buying company stock inside the 401k in some cases. I'm buying employee stock purchase shares. I'm getting stock options and those are vesting and I'm owning more and more shares. And it can create a lot of wealth, but at some point you do need to diversify because as you go into retirement having everything in one company can lead to years of underperformance. Look at Cisco systems, for example. 
um, it can lead to a disaster like an Enron, WorldCom and other stocks that we could point out where they had to change laws and allow people to diversify in company stock, for example, at certain ages. So eventually you do have to deal with that situation of overweight in the company stock. Now, there's a couple of ways to deal with it. First of all, if we talk about in general, before we go into the idea of 401k rollovers and what you do with company stock inside your 401k, are you overweight? Are you getting to the point where you're 10 years out, let's say, and you've done a very careful financial plan, all of your cash flow projections have been done, your tax analysis, using the proper growth rates to say, can I retire in 10 years? What are the opportunities to start reducing your exposure to single company stock? Well, one of the most common types of employee benefits out there now is in the Bay Area, especially is, is RSUs. And these are the type of grants that you get. And every so often, typically on a quarterly basis or an annual basis, a certain number of those shares vest and they become your shares. Typically, they sell a couple of shares to withhold taxes on that because as that RSU vests, it becomes 100% taxable to you as ordinary income. And there's absolutely zero tax benefits to continue to own the rest of that stock. So if you're already overweight in that company stock and you need to diversify, the first step you do is sell the rest of those RSUs as they vest. In some cases, you might have a trading window to deal with, but sell them as they vest and invest in a more diversified portfolio. Because more than likely, you're still already funding and contributing to the ESPP program, the Employee Stock Purchase Program, which is where allowing you to buy the shares at a discount. And then the next one to look at if you're already overweight in that company's stock is as you're selling the RSUs to vest, you need to start trimming more. Look at the shares of the ESPP stocks that you've owned that you've owned for at least two years, I'll say. There's there's certain calculations that could be 18 months, but at least two years to be safe. And as you get new ones, start selling those. Right. And does this mean you pay a little bit of tax? It, it does. But congratulations. I mean, you that means you've won. And it's time to diversify as you get close to retirement to, so that you're not worrying so much. I will tell you, I've said this a million times on the air, but as soon as you retire, your risk tolerance is going to drop drastically because it, it's really nice to get a paycheck. And if you're one of the very few people in the US that is able to fund their retirement accounts, they have take-home pay and it's more than what they need to live, that feels pretty good. And so if you're maxing out your retirement accounts at work and you're buying the employee stock purchase shares, for example, you're taking money home, you have your expenses, you still have money left over to save. It, it's really nice to look at your 401ks and you're constantly contributing and, and they're going up and up in value. And you're like, hey, the market takes really good care of me over time. I've heard Chad say that's typically over a long, long period of time, positive 70% of the time. It's averaged you know, 10, 11% with dividends reinvested on the S&P 500 over the last 50 plus years. So why not be aggressive? And that's true. But as soon as you retire, all of a sudden, there's no paycheck. There's no take-home pay hitting your checking account. You have to recreate that net take-home pay out of your investment accounts. And so people retire and they tend to be much more conservative suddenly at retirement. And that idea of all of a sudden too, I've got to now sell everything and pay a bunch of taxes so I can diversify my portfolio. That's a really hard pill to swallow, right? 
Um, so it, it really is important to start doing it over time, especially 10 years out from retirement. So you, you, as you do some projections going forward, you have to say, okay, if I'm 10 years out from retirement now and my employer stock that I'm working for right now is 50, 60% of my net worth, if I start selling my RSUs as they vest, if I start selling ESPPs as I buy new ones and definitely stop adding to the company stock of the 401k plan, if that's something that I'm doing... What is the value of that single stock versus the rest of my portfolio by retirement? And you have to make sure that that's less than 5% at some point. And that could be really on the first several years of retirement, having a plan to live off of that stock. It could be what I've talked about in the past by selling call options, for example, on that stock, which we could get into. That's a whole show, really tough on radio. But I think I mentioned it with uh, Rob Black on his show last week. The other thing to think about with employee stock is do you own it in your 401k? Do you own company stock in the 401k that they either gave you as a match or you were buying slowly over time? Because you have some big opportunities potentially when you leave that employer and roll over your 401k to an IRA. There's something called net unrealized appreciation tax benefits. And essentially what that means is when you roll over your 401k, if you have company stock in the 401k, you have the option when you're doing the full rollover to move that company stock into a taxable account and the rest of that 401k money into an IRA. Now, is this a good idea? I can't tell you for sure until we do some financial planning and some tax analysis. But let's say you have $200,000 worth of company stock and it's because the company went up a lot in value since you worked for the company and you only paid in, you only bought that company stock for about $20,000, let's say. When you do a full rollover and you've retired, you're, you're, let's say you're 65 years old, you're, you're retiring, you do a full rollover that 401k, that company stock can go into a normal taxable brokerage account. And when that happens, even though it's worth $200,000, you're only going to pay taxes on your cost basis of the stock, which is $20,000. And you'll pay ordinary income taxes on that. And then the, the, the stock can just sit there. And if you sell additional shares in the future, that's taxes capital gains. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because there's a capital gains bracket and there's an ordinary income tax bracket, right? If you don't have any other income but capital gains, you can take a lot of income and pay 0% in taxes. A lot of income and pay 0% in taxes. So there's, there's two brackets at retirement that you have to deal with. So a lot of times you can start whittling away at that company stock in the first couple of years of retirement and keep your taxes really, really low. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month. With no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month. With no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. So talking a little bit about NUA. Net unrealized appreciation. That's when you own company stock in a 401k. And we're going to talk about just 401k rollovers in general in a moment. 
But the first thing is, is just understanding how tax brackets work in retirement. And the idea of what a standard deduction is versus your itemized deductions. All right. So everybody's going to start prepping for tax time, right? We've got 1099s that are due by the essentially supposed to be mailed out today. Now it's a little bit silly because if you have a lot of investments at a taxable account at like Schwab, Fidelity, formerly TD Ameritrade, you know, you notice that they send three different versions of the 1099 out because they the IRS gives them a deadline of January 31st and then certain dividend types are revised and then you get a new one. <laughs> so a lot of times you can't really truly file until almost late February or March in many cases. But it's a good time as you're getting ready for taxes to realize how the tax brackets work. And the first thing is, is that when you're doing your taxes, you're either taking the standard deduction that everybody gets, even if they don't own a home, or you itemize your deductions. And that's typically people that have a mortgage, property taxes, medical expenses, and things like that. So what happens is any software that you're doing is asking you the questions about your home mortgage, if you have one, how much state property taxes you pay and state income taxes you pay, because that's deductible up to $10,000. And then your medical expenses, which is deductible over 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. So there's a whole bunch of calculations going on. Long story short, no matter what, the standard deduction for in 2024, for example, is going to be 14,600 if you're single or 29,200 if you're married. Now, when you're over 65, it's an extra 1,550 per person if you're married, Six, finally jointly over 65. So um, you can kind of cut these numbers in half, not exactly. But for example, if you're married finally jointly and you're both over 65, the first 32,300 in taxable income that you have is tax-free because of the standard deduction. It could be even better for you if you itemize, right? And then the next $23,000 will be taxed at 10%. Between $23,000 and $94,000, that's going to be taxed at 12%, okay? That's the ordinary income tax bracket. Now, there's also a capital gains tax bracket. And what is a capital gain? Well, if you own a stock or real estate, outside of a retirement account, right? You've owned it for over a year before you sell it for a gain. Then that gain is going to be taxed as capital gains. The other thing that's taxed as capital gains is dividends from qualified US companies. So when you get paid a quarterly dividend from, let's say, Microsoft or, or Intel or Apple, it's a qualified dividend and that's taxed at the ordinary income tax bracket. So let's pretend like all of you, the only income that you have is from selling stock that you've owned for over a year or dividends from US company stock, right? If you're married filing jointly over 65, the first in 2024 anyways, the first 32,300 at a minimum is tax-free because of the standard deduction. Then there's this ordinary income tax bracket for the next $94,050 that's taxed at 0%. So the whole idea here is that if you have company stock in your 401k and you're going into retirement, in this case, it's 65 or older, and you decide, okay, this year I'm going to move. When I do the rollover, I'm going to take the company stock. And I, I give you an example of people that 
put in twenty thousand into company stock, it's worth two hundred thousand. They move that into a taxable account when they roll over their four hundred one k. That company stock, they pay ordinary income taxes on that twenty thousand dollars, and then the next couple of years they're living off of that stock because they know they can sell it and have their standard deduction plus another ninety four grand in capital gains income and pay a zero percent federal bracket. Okay. Now, as soon as you pull money from Social Security or IRA or other income sources, it can move that that income into the next capital gains bracket, which is 15%. So what happens with ordinary income pushes your capital gains income up and vice versa. So it's very important to do very careful tax planning. Does this work, right? What is your tax situation? If you do the NUA, where you take the company stock and you roll it over, um, First of all, do you want to still own that much company stock? That's that's consideration number one. Is that too much of your portfolio? Is that enough? Is that okay? What are the tax benefits? What's your long-term tax projections? Is this a good idea? So typically when we look at it, if it's really, really low cost basis, that's step number one. It means, okay, this is a big benefit here. I could pay just the ordinary income taxes on this rollover one time on the cost basis. The rest gets to qualify for capital gains. So now number two is what is your long-term bracket? What are your other income sources that are driving your taxes? How much do you owe in real estate? How much are you going to get from Social Security or pensions or annuities? Um, How much do you have invested outside of retirement accounts that's kicking off dividends and interest and capital gains? How is this all working in your tax bracket? That's all part of a financial plan. Working with a financial advisor doesn't just mean they're going to help you invest your money. That's the easiest part of what we do. Certified financial planner practitioners deal in taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, all of it. And that tax analysis is really, really key, especially going into retirement. So. In a situation like that, you could enjoy a really low tax bracket while you whittle down that company stock that you might own too much of in the first couple of years. Um, so th- there's some really big benefits for looking at that net unrealized appreciation. That's when you own company stock in your 401k that you bought either by match from the company or you purchased it outright in the plan. So let's just go back from the beginning now and say, okay, I've left a job. And um, I'm going to talk about retirement for a minute because if, you, if you've left a job and you go to a new one, you always have to decide, hey, what's the new 401k like? Maybe it's better if I roll my old 401k into the new 401k. But at retirement, it's typically better and much more flexible to roll your 401k into an IRA. Now, you might say, okay, I've got you know, great choices in my 401k. Okay, number one, do you really know all the fees? There's a fee report that you can ask for and get every year. Number two, you can replicate those same funds just in an IRA account at Fidelity Schwab or maybe Vanguard, for example, and get the same thing. 401ks, companies uh, change providers. In fact, our company, EP Wealth, we change providers. And we had a blackout period where there was a point in time where you couldn't access the money or, or make any uh, investment changes because it was changing from one company to another. Sometimes that that blackout period could last 30 to 90 days. So if you're retired, you're trying to get money out of an account, that could be a pain. It's also much harder to set up things like systematic withdrawals and other things from a 401k versus an IRA. So at retirement, it's typically better to roll from the 401k to the IRA. right? So what others roll over steps? 
there's questions that you have to ask your existing 401k before you start the rollover process. As we've talked about before, one of those questions is calling up your 401k provider. Do I own any company stock in my 401k plan that qualifies for this NUA, net, net unrealized depreciation, NUA? Um, that's question number one, because if that's the case, then you have to run a full analysis. Is this a good idea? When I do a rollover to do the company stock into a normal taxable brokerage account, in other words, it goes for, if I own shares of Lockheed Martin, when I do a full rollover, the shares of Lockheed Martin might go in a taxable account at Schwab or Fidelity, let's say. And the rest of the 401k goes into an IRA at Schwab or Fidelity. Okay. A couple of examples there. Now, the second question that you have to ask is do I have any Roth assets in the plan? Did you choose to put some of your contributions? into the Roth bucket of your 401k. Because if that's the case, you're now setting up three accounts before you're processing the rollover. You're setting up an IRA account, a Roth IRA account to receive the Roth 401k assets, and then a taxable brokerage account to receive the company stock that you might own. So you now have to open three accounts before you process the rollover. You have to have those account numbers ready to go. Now, a final question that you want to ask is, do I have any after-tax contributions in my 401k? And this is something that we find quite a bit where we'll go to do a rollover. And at some point in the past or recently, people put in after-tax contributions, which are allowed. It's part of the mega Roth 401k that you can listen to podcasts on. I'll try to hit that later in the show. But plans in the past even allowed after-tax contributions to the 401k. So you might have this after-tax bucket sitting in the 401k. And when you do a 401k rollover, you can choose to take that money as a non-taxable check to you and spend it however you want. Or inside the plan, you might be able to convert that from the after-tax bucket into the Roth bucket without much tax issues at all. So you have to make that decision. So there's those, those checklists here. Do I have company stock? Do I have Roth assets? Do I have any after-tax contributions? And then you got to get your accounts open, an IRA account open, a Roth account open, and potentially a taxable account open for the net unrealized appreciation. Then after those accounts are open, you have the account numbers in hand. You log in and process the rollover online. If you have any of these issues like Roth or NUA, I'd call the 800 number and process that. Typically, what's going to happen is they'll transfer the shares of the stock. But for your IRA and Roth portion... Unless your 401k is a Fidelity and they're sending it right to a Fidelity IRA or Roth, they're going to be mailing you a check made out to your IRA accounts. And then you have to mail it into your brokerage firm. And it's going to be, it's not a taxable event if you do it the right way. You're just going to have to get into the brokerage account. Always have that done by FedEx or UPS with a tracking number. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. 
Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Hope to see you, meet you, February 15th, Menlo Park. Rob Black and I are doing an event, Seven Steps Retirement Readiness. Seven key things that I kind of boiled it down to. What do you need to think about before you walk in and say, hey, here's my notice. I want to retire. I want to live off of the assets that I've saved my whole life. And I want to make those last. I want to pay the least amount of taxes over a long period of time. Uh, I want to deal with, be able to deal with good economies, bad economies. I'm ready to call it quits and enjoy life. And so we're going to go all through that. And you can sign up. Just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. And even if you're already in retirement, it's still a great double check, right? Are, are, are you getting the advice that you need to be in retirement? A lot of before year-end tax planning, IRA to Roth conversions, how to maximize these tax brackets that I was talking about early in the show between capital gains and ordinary income. How does that all work? And at the end, I throw in a little bit about health and enjoying life too. And you know, that's something that's been very important to me my whole life. Um, and you know, it's the first thing I typically do, unless I'm doing the show really early, like today, is is hit hit the gym, work out. And part of it is because with wrestling, snowboarding, wake surfing, uh, that kind of stuff, you know, I, I like to beat up my body. I like to work out hard and play hard. And and so as you age, as everybody knows, and this is the first year I get to do a catch-up contribution to my 401k as I turn 50 towards the end of the year. Um, some of the injuries that you get are when you get out of bed, right? And so dealing with pain and inflammation and just dealing with overall health and having a plan for that, either prior to retirement where maybe you start spending money on your health, a nutritionist, somebody to help you train and, and work out and eat correctly so that you can actually enjoy retirement instead of spending your entire retirement dealing with health issues. Dealing with pain and inflammation is a major issue, right? A lot of times people are like, I can't work out because I have all this pain and inflammation. Well, that could be coming from your diet in the first place. And it could be baby steps, right? It could be changing the way you eat and just moving more, especially right after you eat. Uh, now I just finished today's January 31st as I'm recording the show and just finished dry January. It's not like I drink that much, but even just having a couple of drinks on the weekend out to dinner and things like that, having that cut out for 31 days, I've noticed a lot less pain in low left back where I've dealt with, you know, hip issues and, and bulge discs and things like that, a lot less inflammation. If you're dealing with inflammation, and pain, and you're trying to get steps towards a better workout, I mean, the first thing that you should be doing is stopping sugar. Stop the sugar intake. And there's a couple of things. Stop sugar, stop processed food, stop alcohol. Those are three major things. And, and that if you're going to the doctors looking for an answer without stopping those things and fixing your gut and your microbiome, which is your defense for immune and, and inflammation and everything else, you're not taking the right steps. A doctor and a pill is not going to fix this. If anything, it could make it worse. So stop sugar intake. Just look it up. Study highlights that excessive sugar intake may directly affect the composition and functionality of the gut microbiome. And that's the ability for 
your gut to maintain intestinal barriers. Um, for it's it's key to immune function and nutrient absorption. So sugar is is evil. Processed sugar is terrible, right? Processed foods are an epidemic in this country. I th- I feel like our food system and how it's changed over time and how we have all these processed foods has led to more autism, more inflammation, more health issues, diabetes especially. Processed foods alter the composition and uh, metabolism of your gut and a ton of inflammatory responses. And in some people, it's worse than others. Like I've had to drastically change my diet over years. I used to eat six to 10 eggs in the morning. I can't really eat eggs anymore without having an inflammatory response. And I've done that through blood testing and and gut testing and everything else. So you got to find out what works for you. But if you are a person that's dealing with any brain issues, especially, um, and you have a history in your family of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and things like that, cutting out sugar and processed foods and getting the right probiotic is, is key. There's a ton of studies coming out that tie your gut health and your brain health together. And then, of course, stop alcohol. I know that you know, I like to say all of it because I love a good glass of wine. Uh, when Jamie and I go out to dinner, we have a certain place where we love uh, uh, dirty martinis, right? It's not like I drink a lot, especially during the week. I try to cut it out. But in excess, alcohol can inhibit the production of digestive enzymes and juices. And it become, can become difficult for your body to break down, digest, and absorb nutrients from your food, which can cause fermentation and other inflammatory issues in your gut. So simple steps is, again, stopping sugar, which can be very addictive, right? Um, stop processed foods, stop alcohol. There's a couple of shows now... It's uh, you are what you eat. Where they did a study on twenty-two twins and and two different very healthy diets, and you can tell towards the end of the show it was a very um, you know vegan or uh, vegetarian leaning type show. But the results were pretty good in terms of if you're going into a change in diet, if you're healthy versus you have major health issues, you'll make up your decision. But you can see the differences that the diet makes in identical twins. It's a very interesting show. Another thing that I do if you're dealing with the inflammatory issues is intermittent fasting, where you go at you know a minimum of 12 to 16 hours between eating. So you eat dinner, you go to bed, and the next time you eat again is going to be more like the 12 to 16 hour range. And that helps your body repair and reduce inflammation. Things like infrared saunas, if you've got the money to spend on infrared saunas and cold plunges, you know, take a look at that to help get to the point where, hey, I am going to use some of the money that I've saved up to concentrate on my health so that I can actually enjoy retirement for the 30 plus years instead of being dealing with massive injuries and inflammation and pain all the way into my 70s. A couple of podcasts real quick. Uh, Gary Brecka, The Ultimate Human, and Huberman Labs are two podcasts on overall health and biohacking that I really, really love that if you're interested in that stuff, Take a listen to uh, The Ultimate Human and then Huberman Labs. If you have any questions for your financial planning, you need some help with your money management, you want to set an appointment, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You can find out about my whole team of chartered financial or certified financial planner practitioners. Have a great day. Thanks for listening and please tell a friend about the show. 